Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Well, good afternoon, everybody. You know, I am Desiree Collins Bradley with Patient Partner Innovation Community, and I'm happy to have you guys tuned into our podcast today. We have a celebrity in the PFE world with us today, Miss Sue Sheridan. Welcome. Thank you, Desiree. Great to be here. Yes. So, Sue, you know, everybody knows you, right? You've been doing this work (laughs) a long time. But maybe there's a few listeners that don't know you. So could you introduce yourself and kind of tell us what you're doing and what's your role at your organization now? Sure. Um, My name is Sue Sheridan, and I live in Boise, Idaho. And my role right now is the Director of Patient Engagement at a nonprofit um, called the Society to Improve diagnosis in medicine. It's really the only entity in the United States or maybe even the world that focuses on improving the safety and quality of diagnoses. And this is a new area, not a new area, it's been identified as one of the leading, uh, the number one leading causes of harm within the patient safety world. Mm. Um, and so my role, yeah, and it, it, it's, it's looking at patient safety through a new lens and data is showing that a third of all harm in patient safety events is caused by either a missed or delayed diagnosis. So this is, for those of us in, you know, improving patient outcomes and patient safety, this is the first time that's really since 2015 where the IOM, now called the National Academy of Medicines, have really Mm -hmm. focused on a specific part of patient safety events where it's really significant and cause a lot of harm and and death. So my Mm -hmm. job at the society's acronym is SIDM. And my role at SIDM is to um, engage patients and family members and community-based organizations and um, citizens, you know, really in all diagnostic improvement efforts, because we believe, quite frankly, that we can't really improve patient outcomes and base our, our system on the values and preferences and outcomes that matter to patients without them being engaged in the design of everything we do. So um, we have four different, uh, we have different strategic priority areas. So we engage patients um, in the research areas that we do. And Des, as you know, we engaged Mm -hmm. 20 patient partners that you were one of um, last year to train them on how to become partners in diagnostic research. 
And, and mm-hmm. since then, we've spawned other other grants and other projects. We also engage patients in um, the delivery and the development of medical education. This is kind of a relatively new area that's emerging. So we, you know, I reach out to patients, family members, patient organizations, um, caregiver organizations to engage them in in the medical education as well, as well as practice improvement, where we're really trying to bring in PFACs, patient family advisory councils, to be drivers of change within healthcare systems and have kind of a direct dial to the C-suite. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also really want to engage patients in policy. So this year, we're actually um, you know, recruiting and training patients to go on the Hill and to, you know, to really advocate for additional research and other changes around diagnosis. So that's my job at SIDM is to identify and bring in, you know, leaders in mm-hmm. the patient safety world that can really help us drive improvement in research, medical education, practice improvement and policy. Wow. And, you know, I, I and I'll say this before, um, I go into the next segment, but yeah. you know, I when I remember when you approached me to become involved in the project, and I'll be mm-hmm. totally honest, I was I didn't I was like, okay, I've never really engaged in <laughs> research before. I right. didn't know what to expect. I was so honestly intimidated and nervous and the whole thing. And then when we all met together in our first kind of in-person meeting, yeah. it was like the the veil just fell off, and I was like, right. okay, I got it. You know, this was. It wasn't this big, scary, mysterious thing. You know, it was, you know, patients really can become involved in this work. And so, you know, you guys did a great, great job and bringing in a very diverse group of Mm -hmm. patients as well. It was a, you looked in the room and we had all colors, creeds, everything in between, (laughs) you know, everyone was, was represented. And I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be something really, really, really special. And so, you know, before we go into the next part, let's go back a little bit. You know, I know that you are a PFE champion around safety and errors, but there's a reason why. And so could you share a little bit with our listeners why you became this PFE champion and what kind of catapulted you to make the changes? Sure. It it was a big catapult. (laughs) Um, You know, my profession, and I don't even know if you know this, Desiree, but my profession, um, and I was trained in my education and everything, was um, in international trade finance. And so my job was international banking, helping finance large trade between the United States and and foreign countries. Um, But my husband and I, um, Pat, had Mm -hmm. Cal. He was our first baby. And um, Cal was a normal newborn, normal delivery. But within five days, Cal suffered permanent brain damage because of the failure to identify and diagnose severe newborn jaundice. And they failed to treat it appropriately with urgency. And so Cal actually suffered brain damage in the hospital before Mm -hmm. eyes, you know, holding him. Um, He now has significant cerebral palsy. He's 24. He lives through that event. Many babies die um, Mm -hmm. because newborn jaundice, it's called bilirubin. It's actually toxic. And uh, so, but Cal has significant cerebral palsy. He's, he can walk, but with the assistance of a walker, um, Mm -hmm. his speech is really impaired. He's hearing impaired, but you know, he's smart. He's funny. Um, And then four years after Cal, um, my husband had a, had a, um, a tumor removed from his spinal canal. They believed it was a a benign tumor all along, something very common in middle-aged men. And mm-hmm. um, they, we were told it was benign. And um, unfortunately, there was a final pathology done 23 days after we were discharged. 
and it was found to be a high grade, um, very rare kind of cancer. And that um, pathology, that document was failed. It failed to get communicated to the neurosurgeon or to Pat and me. Um, what mm-hmm. happened is it got filed in his chart without anybody seeing it. So mm-hmm. Pat lived with this cancer in his spinal canal for over six months when the pain returned. And um, we went back to the, the neurosurgeon and we found that the cancer had metastasized throughout his spinal canal. And um, we discovered the error. And um, unfortunately, we were unable to save Pat's life after three years of you know chemo, radiation, and mm-hmm. five more surgeries. Um, you know, Pat became very disabled as well. He died mm-hmm. in 2002. So I saw, you know, I went from a very disciplined profession in banking, thinking that healthcare was also very disciplined and that there was a lot of auditing and oversight and standards and regulations. And I learned that no one was in charge of keeping us safe. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when doing my own research, I then um, reached out to our the leaders in our healthcare system. So I wrote letters to the American Medical Association, to the Joint Commission, to um, our government leaders. And um, eventually I was invited to testify in 2000 at our nation's first summit on patient safety and medical errors. So that catapulted me after Mm -hmm. testifying. Um, You know, I I made partnerships with the Joint Commission and CDC Mm -hmm. and, um, and other mothers of children like my son, Cal, who also suffered brain damage from jaundice. So mm-hmm. we decided to partner with researchers, policymakers, medical education, curriculum developers, um, and change the standard of care, change education, um, change public health standards, um, which we did. So that's what got me into all the different mm-hmm. levels and all the different sectors of making a difference and changing our healthcare system so it's safer. Well, you know, and it's and I remember hearing your story for the first time. And, you know, oftentimes us as patients, as we become advocates and patient partner, however you want to label yourself, there's always a why. And so, you know, I I like the fact that you took something very tragic, that why and kind of turned it into something with a purpose. And so, you know, it it leaves a legacy. Right. Pat didn't die because others others have been saved and had outcomes that have right. improved from, you know, so, you know, I, I, I just, it, it gives me chills. I tell people, <laughs> you know, in this PFE space, there's so many different ways that we can get involved. Right. And so, you know, I urge them, come on, you know, find your niche and, and, and get the work, get, get the work done. That's right. I mean, it, yeah. honestly, it's the, I had to, you know, mm-hmm. I had, you know, it's, we, we experienced so much grief and anger and mm-hmm. really disbelief that our system was so unsafe mm-hmm. that I really felt a responsibility to be part of improving it. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. a lot of patients feel that. Yeah, they do. They do. It's like, where do I take that energy? Where do I take that energy? And I I need to do something with this energy. And so, so let's kind of go a little bit deeper in in the research space um, before we get into the other spaces, but I know um, when we were there at the first kind of meet and greet, and you mm-hmm. told us, and you say, you know, take your what ifs, right? Take right. the what ifs, what from your diagnostic error journey, take those yep. what ifs. And I was like, okay, what, how many, I had so many what ifs, I right. didn't know, <laughs> you know, how to, how to kind of t- uh, tailor it down. And right. you put up this tool, and I'll tell you, it helped me structure my what if 
map out mm-hmm. the diagnostic error and it put right. it in such a clear way that I could digest it and understand it. Could you tell us, uh, our listeners, a little bit about that actual tool? Sure. And it actually goes back to, you know, my personal journey because regarding research, I, like you, Desiree, I was very intimidated when we were told that in order to make systematic, national systematic change, that we had to develop the evidence Mm -hmm. um, to do that. And so when I heard the word research, I thought of, you know, white lab coats and beakers and goggles (laughs) and like explosions (laughs) in labs. And so to me, I didn't even know what that meant, patient engagement Mm -hmm. and research. But Mm -hmm. as we moms started to work with the researchers, we learned that it really was it wasn't mystical and complex and difficult. It was really working to I, together to identify mm-hmm. like the what if. So all of the moms that had kids with cornicterus, cornicterus is the brain damage from jaundice. Mm-hmm. We all had a handful of what ifs. Our major, what our two major what ifs were, what if they're all babies got a bilirubin test? A bilirubin mm-hmm. measures the level of toxins of the, of the jaundice. Mm-hmm. We Mm -hmm. learned that it wasn't mandatory. We learned at one time it was routine, but they stopped doing it in the early 90s really to save money. Mm -hmm. So our biggest what if was what if all babies got discharged before or got a bilirubin test before they're discharged? Mm -hmm. That was one what if. The other what if is what if all parents were educated about the dangers of jaundice that that there was a test that they could ask for? Mm -hmm. So when we embarked on research, it was really... Um, we boiled it down to that what if, and then we did surveys with the CDC about what moms wanted to know, moms and dads, what they mm-hmm. wanted to know about um, jaundice. So that was actually, I didn't even think it was research, but developing surveys is research. Mm-hmm. And when we worked with a hospital to implement, you know, a, a universal bilirubin test to see what would happen, you know, what if we implemented a universal bilirubin test in a hospital that had had cases of cornicterus? And to measure the numbers of the levels of bilirubin and the number of cases of cornicterus. So that was another what if that we work with the hospital and our researchers. That was research. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, as complicated as many of us thought at first, because it's really taking in our minds, you know, what it's kind of a solution. We in my mind, I thought, what if they'd only taken a bilirubin on Cal when he was in the hospital? So we turned that into a research question to say, what would be most effective? You know, a mm-hmm. bilirubin test, a universal bilirubin test, or mm-hmm. visual assessment. And that's what they were doing on our babies. They were just looking at our babies and guessing about the mm-hmm. bilirubin levels. So that turned into our research question. So I took that kind of just having lived, you know, through the, being a partner in research and how it absolutely demystified research. And so we applied it to the paired group, the group that we're talking about, the patients improving research and diagnosis. And mm-hmm. so I really try to distill it at the at the at the at your level, at the patient level, at the caregiver level, to to really leverage what's in our minds. What were those what ifs? And then to map it on the National Academy of Medicine's diagnostic process that just walks you through the diagnostic process um, from engaging the healthcare system, and getting the right tests, and getting the right referrals, mm-hmm. and getting the right history and physical, and then communicating. So. So that just seemed organic to me that that's what helped me as a patient in research. So that's mm-hmm. why we all worked together um, when we had our face to face with the researchers to really take your whole story and then mm-hmm. distill it down into what ifs that plotted onto the diagnostic process. Because there's there's so many what ifs that we all have. But what about diagnosis in that process? Mm-hmm. Can we drill down and determine the what ifs? And many of those turned into research questions. Um 
or research topics. So yeah. it was it was humanizing it. It was humanizing yeah. and crawling into the patient's minds, you know, because whenever there's an error and people are harmed, those what ifs haunt us. So we yeah. now we have a place to take those what ifs and, and turn them into research questions. And, and you know, I, I'll say this and for the P the other paired partners that were in the room it was like the light bulb went off we were right. all looking at each other like okay we can do this <laughs> right <laughs> we can do right. this you know and, and it has it has turned into other projects and and i you know i see where the sky's the limit and i i see right. where sitem is really you know wanting to engage the patients and bring them into right. the research and then also too for the researchers it's scary for them right, right. to engage patients most of them hadn't engaged patients and, you know, teaching right. them how to engage the patients is really important. So moving forward, it changes the culture of research. It takes that mystery away and right. like mystifying, right. like, ooh, research, right. the veil is down. And so we can exactly. all get in, get in there, there together. Yeah. So I, I want to say our, can mm-hmm. I just make a real quick comment about the researchers? Because yeah. I think our researchers, they're esteemed, well-known researchers but trained in traditional methods and mm-hmm. I think they also I mean they learned just as much as the patients because I think they yeah. thought patients would be valuable maybe in a mm-hmm. focus group or but for patients actually designing and identifying what the research mm-hmm. was going to be about really changed the dialogue and they all agreed that this was you know a real eye-opener for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I I can't wait to see everyone at the DEM, which is the annual conference is coming up. That's right. And we'll all kind of get together and it's going to be a really, really good time. I'm excited to see new researchers and meet to um, meet up with the old ones that we got together. I, I, I'm excited about this partnership. Right. I, I really, really am. That's so great. I want to shift us a little bit and, and cause you've done, I swear everything under the sun <laughs> and patient engagement, but I want to talk about technical expert panels. Um, we're sure. actually, you know, um, ATW Health Solutions with Dr. Natasha Washington. They sponsor our podcast and she has partnered with Rainmakers and we are working um, to bring patients into technical expert panels. And so when you say TEPS, when you say the word technical expert TEPS, a lot of times when I speak to different patients, they're like, oh, what? What is that? What is that? And then again, intimidated by Measure development, not quite knowing how am I going to get input with all of these, you know, researchers and stakeholders and measure developers. And so could you tell us a little bit about what is a technical expert panel and what, you know, what is the patient role and and your insights or any any advice you could give our callers? Absolutely. Well, a technical expert panel, another, we just have to demystify what that is. And this is, Mm -hmm. I'm glad Natasha has identified this as a mechanism to integrate the patient's mm-hmm. voice, you know, on, you know, there's a lot of technical expert panels. They're about measures, they're about reporting, there's about, there's, so it's, it's actually, you know, almost like a, an expert committee and mm-hmm. the role of the, it's, you know, to make decisions about either measures or a project, HRQ mm-hmm. uses TEPs, um, mm-hmm. CMS uses TEPs, um, the TEPs, and it's a great way to integrate with other experts, but the role of the patient is to really communicate the values, outcomes, and measures, preferences, values that matter to them and their patient community. Mm-hmm. And so, so on a TEP, you're not expected to be a scientist, a measure developer, expert. You are expected 
to use your lived experience, that of you or your community, and really integrate what matters most to patients to either be measured or to integrate into the project. And so it's really being an expert in what you or your community knows. So mm-hmm. I really want patients to understand they do not have to be an expert in, in measure development or expert in collecting and analyzing data. But this is a great way to um, communicate and be steadfast on mm-hmm. what really matters most to the patient community, either to mm-hmm. you, your family, and the community that you're a part of. Um, Absolutely. So that's, I mean, we need to demystify it because it really boils down to what matters most to patients. And while I worked at CMS, we had some TEPs to Mm -hmm. um, measure quality. And so we brought in patients and wanted to know from their point of view, how do we measure quality? And actually, it was really very different than other experts. And but it was it was powerful. And uh, and now CMS is measuring patient reported outcomes because that Mm -hmm. matters to the, the patient community. Absolutely. And, you know, I, and I tell, you know, my peers, fellow patient partners, you know, I think you just have to take a chance, right? And get right. started. I know some are like, oh, no, I can't do that. Yes, you right. can. Yes, you, yes can. you can. You can do right. it. You can do it. You can do it. You know, just right. take that chance and, and, and get in, get involved. And so, you know, totally um, before, great. yes. And before, you know, I've so enjoyed our conversation, Sue, but before I let you go, I'm going to ask you, for those patients that are listening, right, right, that are sitting at home or in their cars, yeah. on their phones and iPads, tuning into our podcast, and they're like, okay, how do I start? How do I get involved? What would be one little nugget of advice that you could give to the patients? Right. Well, the first nugget, and you've already said it, is the first nugget is believe that you can participate in research mm-hmm. and other, you know, engagement efforts because you know, the patients and caregivers, we are the experts in, in the kind of care that we want to get. And we are the mm-hmm. experts in our bodies. Now, if patients, you know, I'm sure patients listening to this will have their own what ifs about their mm-hmm. care, especially mm-hmm. if they had a bad outcome. And so, you know, they need to reach out to entities like Natasha's, you know, Google that. And, mm-hmm. and they, if they're close to a research, you know, a, a university that, that does research, researchers are looking for patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, join listservs such as that at PCORI's and, and, and get engaged with SIDM. Um, and you can submit your story to SIDM. We have a story mm-hmm. bank where we're collecting stories and, you know, what ifs, basically. So we want to bring mm-hmm. patients into our world that really, you know, for those patients that want to make a difference around the area that, that they're so familiar with. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say, number one, have confidence because you are the expert. Number two, reach out to entities who are mm-hmm. either training patients or conducting research um, and, and, and learn about this research world. And, um, you know, I think for those two, two elements will give you a good start. Mm-hmm. So and I just realized there's something else I want you to talk about. Yeah. Medical education. You were recently, yes. you just told me about the medical yes. education. Um, you went to a conference and you spoke. And so could you tell us, a, before I let you go for the yes. second time, could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that experience? Because that is, I, my other hat is medical education too. Fantastic. Well, this is, I, I want to say in emerging, this is emerging new territory for patients, although it has been happening in an ad hoc way around the world. But I just returned from the International Association of Medical Educators, a conference that was that took place in Vienna, 
4,100 people in the audience, and they invited me and another pair of partners, Suzanne Trant, to address the importance of patients as educators. So there's a phenomena going around the world that's finally identifying that medical education is incomplete without patients as developers and deliverers of medical education at the medical you know, school level, mm-hmm. at the continuing medical education level. Um, for all clinicians. And so mm-hmm. it was a, you know, a very well received and there's a lot of momentum about getting patients engaged and looking at what are we teaching, you know, to mm-hmm. our medical students and are we teaching truly patient centered care? Are we teaching communication, empathy and listening? Are we mm-hmm. teaching that to air is human and that you need to disclose and apologize? Are we teaching, you know, so there's so many, so many opportunities for patients to get engaged with uh, teaching schools and with continuing mm-hmm. medical education to partner with with clinicians and educators. Um, so to really drive from the very foundation education, you know, mm-hmm. the principles and even clinical aspects, we can reinforce and reignite some clinical aspects like identifying newborn jaundice. And Suzanne spoke about early diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, because if you don't, it causes significant joint destruction. And so mm-hmm. teachers are now teaching um, residents and primary care, how to, you know, patients with RA are teaching how to, you know, do early diagnosis. And so mm-hmm. this is an emerging frontier that I think we all as patients need to really think about how do we partner in that area, just like research. And there's, yeah. no, there's no mystery about it. You know, we can identify yeah. gaps in the, in the medical education curriculum and help fill those gaps. Well, you know, all of this is music to my ears. So, mm-hmm. you know, for our listeners, so you've heard ways that you guys can become engaged, right? You've heard you can get involved with research. You've heard that you can get involved with technical expert panels around measurement. And you've heard the tier medical education. Mm-hmm. And so out of those three, I'm sure <laughs> our listeners can find somewhere that they can kind of dive in and get engaged. Great. But, you know, Sue, it has been a wonderful conversation. Always a pleasure. I think Thank you, you, you yeah. are one of our PFE champions and those of us in this PFE space look up to. So thank you for all your hard work and all that you do. It has been wonderful talking thank to you, you today. Yes, it has been great to reconnect with you on this and I wish all the best of luck to the listeners because there's a space for you out there in this big world and we, and we need you. We need, yes. we need patients and family care, caregivers to get more engaged. Absolutely. Well, thank you listeners for tuning in to our Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. And as always, be engaged. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com.